Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, ladies and gentlemen, wherever or whenever you are listening to this. We're here in Southern California coming to you just days after our most recent episode. Willie, um, I want to apologize to you, of all people, uh, for not getting our latest episode up sooner, but without further ado, this is episode nine. I can't believe we're almost the the decade point for episodes uh, of this show, but this is episode nine of Hot Takes Only. I'm joined by Willie, as always, and Willie, we've got a really exciting show this week. Uh, a yes, we do. A little on the content side, just because there's not as much going on uh, in the last week or so. Uh, NFL preseason is underway, but we don't really talk about the NFL yet. Uh, college football. Can we just give a shout-out to the Browns for we winning, can. beating the Super Bowl champion Eagles today? Uh, in the preseason, uh, with a, uh, a baseball score of 5-0. Which... You know the Browns are 60-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl? That's crazy. It's the hard knocks effect. That's, that's hard better, knocks. better odds than uh, Lester's when Lester won the title. Actually, so. the Falcons. You know they have a higher odds than the Falcons of winning the Super Bowl. Believe it yeah, or not. Well, I mean, the, the world loves to hate the Falcons, so you know, we'll, we'll let that we'll let that slide. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, we got a, we got some baseball on the show today. We got some college football. A little preview of college ball. I know uh, Willie. I think I might be a bigger college ball fan than you, but either way, still should be a good time. Just Absolutely. Talking about, talking about uh, the dogs, uh, unfortunately talking about Alabama, uh, Clemson, and some other teams to look out for as we get started a week from tomorrow. Uh, then we got some Premier League. We're going to you know, do a little bit less of Premier League than we have been doing recently. That's so exciting, though. It's been so exciting. We've been just throwing a lot of Premier League at you, and you know, our latest episode dropped yesterday. Um, and this will drop Friday, yesterday as in uh, Wednesday. We're recording this Thursday night. This will probably drop Friday morning. And, um, yeah, so without further ado, let's get into it. Let's talk some baseball, Willie. So, number Absolutely. one, I want to get this out of the way first. We usually mm-hmm. don't lead off the show with the hottest takes, but I want to get this hot take out there. Okay. Um, we will obviously still have our hot take section, but I, would, I do want to get this out there first because it is mm-hmm. going to lead off the rest of the show. The Boston Red Sox won their 90th game this afternoon. 90. They have 90 wins. It is August 23rd, 2018. They have 90 wins. The Boston Red Sox will be the first team knocked out of the playoffs or knocked out in the first round. What? Doesn't, Man, doesn't, doesn't you keep saying schedule. that. But they are going to get bounced first. And let me tell you why they're going to get bounced first. The reliance of this team on the offense in situations where they have historically struggled, especially in the postseason, in the last few years, under John Farrell specifically. This is a new year. Alex Cora's done a really good job, obviously, uh, and he's had a a really loaded lineup to work with pretty much all season. Injuries here and there, yes, but through the most part, uh, the acquisitions of J.D. Martinez have come through. Mitch Moreland has played really well since Henry Ramirez got designated for assignment back in May, and the offense has been really solid. But my one concern with this team, and this is always my concern with any team that I'm a fan of, is the pitching staff. The pitching staff of the Boston Red Sox is statistically solid. One of the best ERAs collectively since the All-Star break. David Price has the best ERA in the American League since the All-Star break. Yes, he does. Just under one. But that's it. The body of work of this team throughout the year, minus Chris Sale, is not good enough to win the World Series. You think of teams that have won the World Series in past years. You think of the Houston Astros. Very good starting pitching. You think of the year before that, the Chicago Cubs. Again, very good starting pitching. You think of the year before that with the Kansas City Royals. Very good starting pitching and a 
nasty bullpen to go with it. So all of these teams have had that one thing in common, which is very, very good pitching. Hitting comes and goes in the postseason. We all know that. That's kind of the one thing that you never really know what you're going to get, regardless of how good a hitter is. Some hitters shrink under the pressure of the postseason. Others, namely David Ortiz, rise to the occasion and turn in World Series where he's hitting 600. He's getting his OPS is north of 12 or 1300. It's it, it's remarkable how how well he did in the 2013 World Series. But you can't rely on that to have a period of sustain of sustained success. And right now, the Boston Red Sox do not have. They don't have the that ability to rely on good pitching outside of Chris Sale they're lacking and I think they're going to get bounced in the first round again as much as I want to see them win the World Series it's just not going to happen well I want to talk to you Owen real quick about I mean you mentioned it before but what do you think the significance of David Price's resurgence means for this team you know pitched another great game tonight against Cleveland um you know do you think if Chris Sale gets healthy you know that one-two punch is quite lethal no in theory, it is, but we haven't seen David Price, uh, the, at least the seven-year, $217 million David Price that the Red Sox signed in the postseason. We've seen it in, in flashes in the regular season, but the regular season only gets you to the postseason. You don't, it doesn't guarantee you a success in, in October, and that's the one thing the Red Sox need out of him is the, to continue this trend into October. They're 16-2 in his last 18 starts, but... I, I just I worry about this team because outside of David Price and Chris Sale, you have Rick Porcello, who has definitely regressed to the mean this year. He had mm-hmm. an outstanding start against the Yankees uh, to, to you know, in the middle of that four-game sweep uh, a few weeks ago, but he's also returned to the Rick Porcello of old, kind of you know giving up three or four runs in six innings. Uh, it, it's just not the the kind of solid pitching that other other world series contenders really have uh the astros are kind of an anomaly in that situation because their pitching is just insane but at the end of the day i think the red Sox are really lacking in that department and i think that not making a significant splash at the deadline is going to hurt them and you know i I just think they they don't have enough pitching and it's you know it's beating a dead horse but i really just don't think they do so you don't you don't trust evaldi he can give you some good games too. He can, but he can also give up ten runs in two innings. He has that kind of he has that kind of uh, ability to lose his stuff, which is terrible, or lose his command because he has he has some of the best stuff of of anyone in the majors. It's his command is very suspect, and you see that a lot with power pitchers. That's you know that's kind of given, but with him, and we saw this when he was with the Yankees a few years ago. He could give you seven or eight innings of one hit ball and then turn around and and cost the team 10 runs in his next start or something like that it maybe not that severe but the point is i can't i for the life of me cannot trust this pitching staff outside of chris sale and couple that with a bullpen that's suspect at times joe kelly has been sure not good since the tyler austin situation uh, early in the season Matt Barnes is always a liability to give up home runs, particularly to the Yankees. Liability? Wow. Uh, Heath Hembury is inconsistent at best. Uh, Craig Kimbrell is nasty but not unhittable. Uh, I I just think that the collective unit of the Red Sox pitching staff uh, is going to come up short again, and no matter how many runs they score, uh, they could end up giving up that many. Now, that being said, I've been wrong before, and I'd love to be wrong in this situation. Mookie Betts is having an MVP season. 
Mm-hmm. JD Martinez is having an MVP season, uh, and Andrew Benintendi's playing really well. Jackie Bradley's starting to hit again, and the defense is always there, as we know. But it's just not looking like it's gonna be it's gonna be their year as as well as they're playing. I, I know it's it's an unpopular opinion. It's a hot take for sure, but I just I just don't see it with this team. You know, I think it's. Let me ask you this this question: Do you do you think that the Red Sox? You were talking about the Red Sox bullpen. You know, they're struggling at times. Do you think that they're they're good good enough to close down games? The reason I ask is because you know, take a guy. You know, we've seen how good David Price is. We when Chris, we know how good Chris Sale is, and Nathan Evaldi, for whatever reason, always historically has been the guy who is really good the first couple times through the order, and then he kind of struggles later as he gets in the game sometimes. So he does, but he doesn't have to be great. You know, this is a Red Sox team that has such a good offense that they don't have to have great pitching to win. You know, now they're not the Red, the Yankees, who you know have even with Chapman going in the DL that they have an elite bullpen and I think I read that they were 61 and 3 when leading after 6 innings but this is a team that doesn't have to be great to win games on the I pitching see, I see your point but I will also throw at you the first two games they played against Cleveland in this series that they just yeah. split two games apiece uh, the offense looked lethargic and that's not something you say about a team that boasts Mookie Betts and JD Martinez and Mitch Moreland, and Andrew Benintendi, and even in stretches, Eduardo Nunez, and Xander Bogarts when he's healthy. It, this is not that kind of team. And to me, when you when you lose that element of, you know, you it's it's not so much the Ortiz-Ramirez one-two punch that we saw in the mid-2000s, uh, but it's, it's a fearsome lineup for sure, but it's one that also has the potential to go very quiet. And that's my concern. Now, I'm also... You know, I also have high expectations, um, particularly for teams that I like. Uh, you'll notice this about Liverpool as well. You'll notice this about Atlanta, uh, basically every Atlanta team, uh, and Georgia. It's The expectations are high because I really love my teams and I want to see them do well. But I, this, this just looks like as good as the Red Sox are, there is going to be that thing that holds them back. And against a postseason caliber team, like the Cleveland Indians, it could be the pitching, and I think it is going to be the pitching this year. And I think a first round exit is is what is awaiting them. Now, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to just be the biggest idiot in the world now if it means the Red Sox win the World Championship. But I can I gotta be honest. I don't see it happening this year. It just doesn't look likely. Now it again it could change, but I don't see it right now, and that's my take. Did you see um, the quote on WEI from uh, J.D. Martinez a couple of days ago? It was something about um, just this team being different, right? It was it was something like that. Yeah, and about team chemistry, and right, and you know maybe there's something special about this team, Owen. Yeah, you know? maybe there is, but uh, until until I see a, cons- a more a consistency among the pitching staff that hasn't really been there over the last few years. Uh, then you know that'll hold my tongue. But it just since it since then it's been Chris Sale and Co. Uh, or at least last year and this year, Chris Sale and Co. And the year before is David Price and Co. Uh, but that that really needs to be more of like a Houston Astros, like a, a one through three are Cy Young kid. I mean, now what they have is a, is a behemoth, sure. and that's not something you can really repeat in any organization. But something along those lines, where one through three, you know, you're not going to have. Uh, you're going to have a tough time with every one of those guys. They may not be Cy Young candidates, but they make you sweat a little bit. 
Porcello to me is just one of those guys who I can't I can't support for the life of me because his stuff doesn't pass the eye test. He relies on uh, run support, and he the year he won mm-hmm. Cy Young, he had I think it, it was a, an absurd number of run support per game. I think it was six or seven runs per game, which is insane. And he won the Cy Young with a mid three ZRA or a low three ZRA. I'm sorry, which which doesn't doesn't happen. I mean, sure. it, it's, it's just, I think Verlander was snubbed that year, and this is coming from a Red Sox fan. So, um, but to avoid being too much of a homer and talk about the Red Sox too much, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the team that the Red Sox are, in my opinion, probably going to lose to, which is the Houston Astros. Now, wow. the A's and the Astros have are going to go at this uh, for the rest of, pretty much for the rest of the year. Okay. Uh, I said last show, and I'll say it again this week, uh, I think it's going to be the Astros. I think a lot of people are betting on the Astros, a lot of people not betting on the A's, and that's no disrespect to the A's. That's just a credit to how good Houston is. And I want to get your take on that rotation and that bullpen because outside of Roberto Osuna and Chris Tavensky in stretches, I don't know if I'm as convinced with the Astros as I have been, at least in years past. Well, Owen, uh, we'll get to it, but I actually think the Oakland A's are going to win the division. Mm. But in terms of the... In terms of the Astros, um, yeah, I mean, listen, the Astros have, I think, the best bullpen ERA in, in all of baseball, or at least up there. Um, I mean, still, you know, I, I wouldn't, certainly I wouldn't trust, you know, the assume, like, it's not like, you know, you look at it and the, their guys, like, jump out at you. Um, but, you know, they certainly have a decent bullpen. They obviously have great starting pitching, even though you lose McCullers. I mean, when you talk about Verlander, Cole, Keuchel, and Morton, I mean, you know, that's the one best one through four in all of baseball. So, um, you know, when you look at guys um, on their team, um, obviously, uh, you know, they had, they had issues with the closer position, and obviously Ken Giles isn't there anymore. And, you know, I'm still not sold on their bullpen, but to be honest with you, I, I really don't have as much worries about as their pitching as maybe you do. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, and and it makes me wonder, you know, for as good as they are and as good as we we say they are, I mean, why would you why would you say the Astros are gonna not win the division? I mean, I I don't think you could you could bet against them. Well, Owen, I think it comes down to first of all, the Oakland A's have been on an absolute tear. Kind of reminds me of the Dodgers last year, but I mean, when you look at at pitching, it just seems to me they have a little bit of magic going, and we talk about, um, you know. Oakland also has a, a very good bullpen in their own right. And then when you combine that with guys like, you know, Edwin Jackson, Sean Manea, now Mike Fires has been pitching really well. They have a very good starting rotation to go with that too. And I just think they I, – I just feel it, on, And I could be wrong, but I, but I just feel it. No, I feel them winning it. They, they are still on and, one of the biggest tears I've seen. And recently. Sean, when you, add, when you add guys like Fernando Rodney and Sean Kelly to the mix – um, obviously, we got Trannon. So this is a team loaded with pitching. Yeah. Obviously, outside of Chris Davis, I wouldn't say they have a very explosive offense, but it, it reminds me a lot of the. To be honest, it reminds me a lot of the Phillies. Just very good pitching with with timely hitting. Yeah, and that's usually the recipe for success in October. Um, and, and when you think about the A's right now, uh, the names that obviously jump out to you are Chris Davis, who has the major league lead in home runs right now, uh, going opposite field tonight. Uh, and you think of guys like Matt Chapman as well. Jed Lowry's a first-time All-Star. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Lucroy behind the plate. I mean, there's there's stars at positions 
on the A's, but they're not superstars like with other teams. But that's what makes them good. It's, it's the ability to put together really solid teams without your big egos, the player who's making 20 to $25 million yeah. a year. They don't have that. So they, they automatically lose at least part of the inherent ego that comes with having a superstar, but they're still able to put together a very solid team. And that's, again, credit to Billy Bean in the front office for, for being able to do that on the budget they do. We, you know, we talk about the A's and Moneyball a lot, uh, but we don't necessarily always see the A's compete. But when we do see the compete, it's usually when they go on stretches like this where they, they get hot and they stay hot for a long time. And I forgot about I forgot about Brett Anderson, you know. I mean, Brett Anderson, Trevor Cahill's another guy. All these guys just outperforming expectations, you know. Yeah, and and part of the some of the times that's that's what you need in October is you need guys who are gonna you know have pretty low expectations for, but they're gonna surpass them. And I think the A's are in a pretty good spot to definitely make the playoffs. Um, whether or not they actually host a wild card game is up for grabs because the Yankees have been sliding in that top spot, and you never really know. And in terms of yeah, I agree. And in terms of well, let me ask you: Why are you are you going with the Astros? I mean, I, I will admit, you know, their bats have really gone quiet and they've really struggled after the All Star break. I think that was a case of a Jose Altuve's injury really really affected them, but. Um, I mean, what what do you think's to make of the slide in in the second half of the season for the Astros? And do you think they will write the ship? I mean, they kind of are starting to. But. Well, it's 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 a lot of things. I think one of the main ones is is you know this kind of overused phrase in sports, this kind of championship hangover. Um, but then again, they only went out and strengthened in the off season. You know, usually teams when they win a world championship, they have an impending free agent who will go sign somewhere else for big money, or they will take an opportunity to you know, move some players around and try to create uh, space for the young guys. Uh, but the Astros, they they did a really good job of keeping their core group intact. And when you have that and the experience they got last year from obviously going all the way, then you're really set up for, you know, whatever happens is, you know, not a not so much a blip on the radar, but it's more just, or not so much a, a trend, but a blip on the radar. Like, hey, you know, we're sliding right now, but it's a long season. We know we're going to be back in October. We know we believe in our team. We're good enough to get the job done. We did it last year, and there's no reason why we can't do it again. So I think it's it's a little bit of that, that experience and the mentality of the team is, is something they're getting right. And, you know, to, to see a lot of their, their core guys, you know, be younger and sticking around. You think of Correa, you think of George Springer and Jose Altuve, obviously, uh, but also Marvin Gonzalez and Evan Gaddis and, and Brian McCann behind the plate. And uh, and then, you know, like we talked about, ad nauseum on the mound, uh, Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel, Justin Verlander, and Charlie Morton, one through four. And that's not even mentioning Lance McCullers, who threw like 40-something breaking balls in a row in the playoffs last year, which I don't know how you snap your elbow in half. Yeah, I don't know how you <laughs> not snap your elbow in half. Uh, but, you know, here we are. So, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I think I still, I still think the A's are, or the, the Astros, I'm sorry, are still uh, just too loaded of a team not to win that division. And that's, that's no discredit to the A's or the, or the Mariners, that's just mm-hmm. how good they are. Do you trust the bullpen of guys like Rendon and McHugh and Peacock and Osuna and stuff? Do you trust, in, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. In certain situations, I guess, um, Osuna, I think, is the kind of question mark just because you, he has this baggage. Uh, for the rest of the season, like, you know, people are going to be talking about him and, and bringing up his, you know, mm-hmm. does your domestic violence uh, suspension, does that weigh on you at all? 
Um, mm-hmm. And he could say no all he likes, but it, it, it's going to weigh on you when you've been out for so many games. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the rest of the bullpen, uh, it's you know they they obviously showed they had what it takes last year, and um, maybe I'm just not as familiar with them their bullpen this year. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, as far as winning the division, I think it'll help. Maybe when it comes to going to the World Series, it might be a different story, but uh, that'll be something for something for us to look at as we get a little further to or closer to October. Um, I do want to switch gears slightly um, mm-hmm. because there's a really interesting thing going on in DC right now. And by yes. that, I mean the Nats are essentially giving mm-hmm. up. So um, that's right. We didn't get to talk about this on the last show because we recorded it Sunday. But as of Thursday, the Nats have traded two of their, I wouldn't say core players, but two important players to that organization in Matt Adams traded to the Cardinals mm-hmm. uh, via waiver and Daniel Murphy traded to the Cubs also via mm-hmm. waiver. And a third player was placed on waivers and claimed by the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, unsurprising the Dodgers. It's a surprise who it was. And that player is Bryce Harper. Now, they immediately took him off yep. waivers and they're not going to trade him. But the idea that this is supposed to be the World Series or bust season for the Nats. It's Bryce Harper's last year before free agency. People are talking about him being the first $400 million uh, contract baseball player. I still think that's the case. I think he's going to be paid very handsomely wherever he ends up going. And it, it just sounds like they've they've given up almost. It, it's, it's shocking to me to see a team that was put together the way that they were basically at this point in the season just give up. Now, it, it's not waving the white flag by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to get your sense on what it means to a team when your, you know, your superstar, your Bryce Harper, has been put on waivers. Yeah. Um, to me, it really doesn't make sense, you know? The Nationals GM at the deadline said, you know, I believe in this team. And now you're basically, you know, you're like you said, A, you put Bryce Harper on waivers. And then you give away two good players, you know, for really diminished value. You know, yes, like, I would agree that, you know, Philadelphia and Atlanta look really good. And I, I would not take them to win the division this year. But um, it just signals to me that, um, you know, windows are are precious, you know. And, and the Nationals have gotten very many chances, a lot of chances. And um, to me, it just signals, it signals the end for me. Yeah. of this team no, and it's, it's and it's really sad it's really sad and you know it's funny because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go off track sad. here and i want to hear what you have to say but you know you look at teams and you look at like the boston red sox are another team that in the next couple years are a lot of guys are going to hit the market so you, you just look at the nationals though and and it's just a case of 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 really sad too many missed chances yeah and and here's the thing is for me i wouldn't call it sad um i'd call it yeah, unfortunate. Uh, a term that Jared Carabas, host of Starting Nine, likes to use a lot is "you hate to see it." Uh, you, you hate to see the Nats do this to themselves. Um, you hate to see them finish where they are. You hate to see it with a losing record, uh, and obviously saying that with a heavy degree of sarcasm because I do not like the Nats and at all, and I acknowledge that bias as an Atlanta fan. But I'm going to stick by it, and you know, yeah, you, you hate to see it. Uh, but but yeah, I, I remember when I when I saw that headline break, uh, I got the notification and I texted you right away because yeah. I mean this is this is huge for for the balance of the NL East. I mean this is it was basically a three horse race 
That's right. Going into the All-Star break and then kind of coming out of the All-Star break, it was still, you know, the Phillies maybe with the Braves right there and, and the Nats within striking distance. But since then, it has been Braves and Phillies and the Nats have completely fallen off the wagon. Now, they could go on a Rockies-esque tear, Rockies circa 2007-esque yes. tear. Uh, but the the odds of that happening, are, I think, are slim to none. I think there's something going on in that clubhouse. Um, going back to, I think it was June or maybe early July when Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg really got at each other. Yeah. In the dugout. Um, yeah. There's, I think there's just a lot going on behind the scenes. And eventually, I think it, 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 it finally caught up to this team. Um, it, and, you know, it's it's tough to swallow if you're a Nats fan but at the same time you you kind of figured that if you were going to win the if you were going to win the World Series and be the best team in baseball throughout the year then this was going to happen yeah well I mean it's just oh it's so yeah it's 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 crazy I, I would agree with you and there's a lot of turmoil you know obviously they have um they've they've throughout the run they've switched managers you never know who that's how that's going to play out but um yeah I mean what do you think the Adams and, and Daniel Murphy are going to mean for other teams? I mean, for example, I think Daniel Murphy going to the Cubs is going to be huge. I mean, they're, they're a team that their offense has kind of been sputtering, and Daniel Murphy is going to slide right there in the lineup um, and is going to make a huge difference, and uh, they'll just move Javi Baez over to short, who's having an incredible year, by the way. But, I mean, if Murphy could go on another postseason tear, I mean, heck, maybe this is the trade that, to me— this can make a huge difference, both in the division race and in the playoffs. Oh, this this makes the Cubs the favorites in in the National League by far. Wow! I mean, okay. I, I think there's there's no team in the NL that comes close to them. Um, really? I think the next closest contender would be the Phillies. But the issue is the Philly, with the Phillies is that they're a really? very young team. Obviously, with Jake Arrieta and Carlos Santana, yeah. you have players who've been in the World Series before, and you have that postseason experience. But there's no substitute for it uh, around the rest of the diamond at every position. You think of guys like Reese Hoskins, who are still young. Yep. Um, Hernandez is good. Hernandez as well. Michael Franco. Uh, Franco. Uh, and just a number of younger players for the Phillies. Um, that's not saying they're not going to do it. And that's not saying I'm counting them out, per se, because you know Philadelphia, they love to be counted out. They love to be the underdog, as, as the Eagles kind of showed us. Um, but it, it's one of those things where... I just think the Cubs have to be the favorites now. They went, wow. and, got, they okay. went and got Cole Hamels. They went and got Daniel Murphy. They they have shown the rest of the of the National League that they are here to ball. I mean, they, they're not going to go away quietly. They kind of started off the season slowly and weren't able to get much going. But now the Cubbies are here. They're here to ball. And uh, I think they have to be considering themselves the favorites. Uh, even if they aren't by record, I think they are by record. Um, so they'd be they'd be hosting throughout the the championship series if they make uh, if they make it that far. Okay, I mean, let me let me throw this at you, Owen, and you tell me what you think. Okay, um, with regards to the the Cubs being the favorite, I'm not so sure. Even though they have an incredible team, like first of all, you mentioned. Um, you mentioned the Phillies. Um, obviously, this is a team that has a bunch of depth at pitching, um, particularly on the starting rotation. Uh, Aaron Nola, top-end ace, plus they've got um, other guys who have been really good. Um, the Braves now with Kevin Gausman. They have three elite starters with Newcomb, Fultonevich, and uh, Gausman. Uh, a pretty good bullpen as well. Sorry, I want to jump in there. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as maybe far not as elite. Maybe elite is a big... Elite. Full. Or maybe not elite, but you no. know, better okay. better than than 
they used to be. We'll put it that way. Okay. And then, um, okay, keep going, keep going. No, 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 no. You, you were, you were rattling off some, some names. Yeah, and then you again, you look at the the Diamondbacks, and you've got Zach Greinke, Patrick Corbin. You've got other starters. Um, so good, good lineup there. So uh, to me, they're not the clear cut favorite. And by the way, they still have to fend off uh, both the Brewers and the Cardinals. And the Cardinals have been making a surge. It's, so, it's the salsa, according to Matt Carpenter. It's the salsa. Oh boy, has he been good, right? <laughs> he has been. He has been doing. I mean, he's he has firmly thrust his name in the MVP conversation after hitting what 154 through May. It's, yeah, it's, he's geez. he's on an absurd tear this season. Uh, which means the National League is going to be an exciting one to watch as we get to late September and into one of my favorite months of the year, October. Because what's better than October baseball? It's a trick question. Answers, uh, well, actually, I don't know. Premier League gives it a run for its money. But no, <laughs> October baseball. Um, any any last thoughts, I guess, before we move on to Yeah, uh, Owen, uh, two, two quick brave things. We won't spend we'll, – we'll just be quick. Number one – Ronald Acuna uh, Actually, two, one – well, two quick thoughts. One, Max, one Braves. Number one, can, what do you think about the impact of uh, Venters and Barch? Barch, uh, sorry. I think I think Barch. Venters has been a nice uh, – a nice little sentimental guy, but he's also give, he's also delivered the goods. Uh, last night, picked up his first save in seven years, um, and the last time he recorded a save, he was a member of the Atlanta Braves when they kind of had that that new bullpen and pitching with with him and uh, Kimbrel at the back end of the bullpen. And yeah, I I, I think they're they're good additions to the Braves. I think they did exactly what I wanted them to do at the deadline, which is go out and get additions to the roster without giving up the entire farm. I think the acquisition of Kevin Gossman was a very, very good yeah, one. Yeah, he's been incredible. Gossman has very high upside because he's had a pretty, he's been pretty incredible. low average year in Baltimore, um, as as most players have this year. The team is just struggling as a mm-hmm. whole. Um, but I think it was it was a prudent acquisition. I think Johnny Venters, they, they wanted, you know, the Braves have this thing where they always have to have this kind of emotion behind it. Um, you know, a couple years ago when they, the last season at Turner Field, they went out and signed Jeff Francoeur early in the year. Uh, now, Francoeur, I don't, I don't think, spent more than two months with the team that year after getting designated for assignment, but it showed that they yep. kind of have this heart. They they respect what players did for them in the past, um, and that's kind of a very Atlanta Braves thing, not necessarily all of Atlanta sports, but just the Braves in general. Um, so it's nice to see Venters back in, in the red white, the red and white of, uh, of the Atlanta Braves. And yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the acquisition at the deadline, they, they helped the Braves long-term. Did? Uh, they're going to help Absolutely. guys like Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna, who's been tearing the cover off the ball. 20, 20, oh, what is he? He leaves rookies in home runs, right? In 76 yeah. games or something ridiculous Absurd. like that. Yep. He's tearing the cover off the ball, which shows you if you're going to throw at him, it, uh, don't number one, uh, but also yep. make sure make sure you uh, make sure you're yep. prepared to give up some damage because he's doing damage against the Marlins now. Incredible! Oh, he's incredible. And I'll save my Braves hot take for the hot take section because oh, I actually okay. got a good hot take. Okay, interesting. And then the last thing, and I just want to quickly your thoughts on the resurgence of Clay Buckholz. On that's I, I like I guy, like. It. Oh, he's right in the thick of the race with the Diamondbacks pitching well. Yeah. I, I, I miss seeing Clay Buckholz pitch well because he, he has a lot of upside and had a lot of upside when he was with Boston, um, but either was never healthy or the command was never there, never really could put it together. Um, so as a, as a Red Sox fan, I, I root for Clay Buckholz. I really do. I, I want to see him pitch well. Um, obviously, if they play the Red Sox or the Braves, not too well. 
Um, but you know, it's it's good to see. It, it's it's a it's a it's one of those feel good stories that you don't really feel bad about getting too attached to in baseball because it's it's it doesn't yeah. directly impact your team. So it it just feels good to to see. Absolutely. That. So it's definitely yeah. one of those feel good stories. But yeah, I, uh, I, moving I, on to our other yep. big topic today, we have three three total as usual. But I want to get to college football now. Uh, as many of you might know, I grew up in the South, and one of the big things, one of the hallmarks of growing up in the South, is that every fall on Saturday, you're watching SEC football, or you're watching SEC ACC football, or you're watching some kind of college ball. Uh, and we are just under a week away from the start of the season. Georgia plays Austin P P A to I don't know how to <laughs> how to pronounce that name, but they play them to start the year. Uh, it was a disappointing end of the season for Georgia. I remember I was almost in tears uh, watching the title game, but I remembered also that I'm also a Falcons fan, and I've seen this movie before, lose to the Patriots of your league, the, your Patriots, your Alabamas, your Yankees, what have you, just the most successful, most hated team uh, of that of that sport. Um, so and, and it, to avoid being too Georgia-centric, I'll just get this out of the way first. It's going to be tough for Georgia to get back to the title game. Uh, given the seniors they lost, they obviously had a number of guys go to the NFL. Uh, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. I enjoy Roquan, watching Chubb on the Browns. He gets Roquan, a good amount of playing time. Roquan Smith, Lorenzo Carter, Javon Wims. I mean, players left and right going to the NFL. Uh, and unfortunately... Uh, Isaiah Wynn is going to be out for the year for the Patriots. Unfortunately for the Patriots, and unfortunately for Georgia fans, uh, he won't be able to play a full season in the NFL yet because he uh, hurt his Achilles in the preseason, so no Isaiah Wynn. But again, another one of those great Georgia players who propelled them to a great Rose Bowl win and eventually a heartbreaking loss in the title game. But um, it's just there's a lot of excitement in college football again. Um, obviously Absolutely. The, National conversation, as it always is, is going to be centered in Tuscaloosa, talking about uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, specifically the quarterback battle between Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Jalen Hurts. I think Tagovailoa gives them a better chance to win week in and week out. Jalen Hurts, I think, is a liability throwing the ball. I don't think he's he he obviously reads the game well enough to be quarterback. I mean, they went to two two straight title games under him, but I think Georgia had him game planned down to a T in this title game. Uh, it was just the, the switch at halftime. Georgia wasn't ready for a quarterback who could spin mm-hmm. the ball like Tagovailoa. I mean, I was talking about this with one of my coworkers today. I mean, I haven't seen a spiral that good ever. I mean, he is yeah. he's just out of his mind uh, when he's, when throwing the football. So it's mm-hmm. it's really nice to see from a neutral perspective, but when you're playing against, against it, it's not what you want to see. Yeah. Um, I mean... I think it was uh, Lane Kiffin, I think, said he, he was going to transfer um, if he didn't play that game. I don't know if that's true or not. But, man, this guy was a, a highly heralded player, and boy, did he perform in, in the championship game. Um, but just honestly, college football is so exciting. And I just want to quickly say, Owen, I know, it, I know it was tough, the loss, but the Georgia-Oklahoma and the Georgia-Alabama games were two of two great college football games, and that's what you want to see, particularly in the college football playoffs. From a neutral fan perspective, th- those were awesome games to watch. Yeah, the Rose Bowl had me in in all kinds of knots just out of pure nerve. Um, 
but it, it really was a great game. Um, and obviously the result, it, it makes it harder for Oklahoma fans to think that way, namely my dad, who's an Oklahoma fan and has been for a long time for no really apparent reason. Um, but uh, it, it was just a great game all around. And I think uh, it, the title game was arguably a better game. Um, kind of ended the same way, unfortunately. Um, Falcons and Georgia fans, uh, you know, the subset of those, myself included uh we saw you know we kind of saw it coming a little bit um when when alabama first started to get back in the game and and talk about lois strung pass after pass together um but i i do want to uh, to make this point because i was reading an article uh written by a, a georgia blogger mm-hmm. today talking about malcolm parish now malcolm parish was georgia's shutdown cornerback for 2015 and 2016 he was one of the better players in the team defensively uh, but suffered a foot injury uh, that held him out of the opening few games of the year. And he's one of those players who he had that speed and quickness that you need because he's a little smaller. But you saw in games, you saw it in the Missouri game when Georgia played Missouri and gave up the most points they gave up to an opponent outside of the Rose Bowl uh, and Auburn. And he just didn't have that that that's first step in that explosiveness that you need if you're a little smaller or the vertical because of that foot injury and so teams started targeting him and i would argue that him playing as much as he did uh maybe not 100 percent in the title game um was costly and it's not to say it's it there's you know the team could have done better because obviously you know the, the team could have done a lot better but when you have a player who can be targeted by the opposition as much as Parrish was then you know, especially with someone who can spin the ball like Takabailoa again. Just, I, I haven't seen a spiral like that in in my lifetime. Yeah. So, and and I've seen some some great throwers of the football. You know, in my short twenty three mm-hmm. or so years so far. He's um, so mobile, and he can just like you said, he's so accurate and mobile, he's, and he's, he's got, got a strong arm he's too. He's got speed. He's got toughness. He's got moxie. He's got this p- composure in the po- in the pocket, and he's got the ability to really sling it downfield. So. Uh, I will be scared to play Alabama this year if Georgia end up does end up playing Alabama in uh, in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Um, I will say though that we had a lot of a lot of really good games and and I watched mostly just Georgia this year, but just a lot of good games all around. Obviously the the SEC championship game was a really good game, um, and the predecessor of that game was the the. Uh, first georgia auburn game and that that didn't go well for the dogs but um just just all around a lot to look forward to for college football and i want to get your thoughts willie because i know you're a little lower on college football than i am and yeah i mean your thoughts on who the biggest challenger to alabama this year is going to be alabama well um i mean it's i know it's not the the most original answer but um clemson you know, I watch a lot of. I would say the majority. I do try. I do like college football and try to watch it. I, I do tend to watch more ACC um, games, and I will say that Clemson always the last couple years had an incredible defense, um, and this year is going to be no different. And so um, they do have some questions at quarterback, and um, certainly uh, if Kelly Bryant's good enough, and they do, um, they did lose Deion Kane, who is incredible. So they do have some questions at the receiver position, but um, their defense is so good that I, I would say that they've got to be the biggest challenger this year. Yeah, I would agree as well. Um, I, 
the bias in me wants me to say Georgia, um, but I just think Georgia's going to have a lot of question marks this year. Although now that I say that, I do. What have, are those question marks? I do have a take that we'll get to in the in the hot take section on Georgia. Okay. Um, but the the question marks for Georgia are mainly how does the offense pick up where Javon Wims and Nick Chubb and Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle. Those are four of the better players in the team, all seniors. How do how does the offense, the likes of Jake Fromm, and Miko Hardman and Riley Ridley, uh, Calvin Ridley's younger brother, and Miko Hardman? How do how do those players make up for losing? Did I say Miko Hardman twice? You did. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. I was it's like, I, I, there was a name I got confused there. Um, but but how does how does the how does the offense pick it up where the seniors left off? And that's the big question mark because we talked about Georgia last year as being this really hard-nosed defensive team led by Roquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter. Uh, how does the defense and the how, – how do those, they pick it up after the seniors? Um, you know, that's that's kind of the game with college is you're going to have players leave the program, enjoy the program every year, but how do the new guys help the – you know, pick it up where the old guys left off? So that's the question mark for me. And then the other one is at quarterback. Uh, Georgia was able to, to secure the number one quarterback prospect in the in the country, in Justin Fields. Um, but it looks like he is going to start the season as the backup to Jake Fromm. Uh, Jake Fromm, who started the season as backup to Jacob Eason, wasn't expected to lead the George, lead the Bulldogs to the title game. But here we are. Uh, you know, and and Fromm is one of those guys. I think is only going to get better. He has an extremely high football IQ. He has this willingness to get better and this raw athleticism that I think Fields also has. And, and it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it, last year we saw it with Eason, who's now at uh, University of Washington. We saw a player who got hurt in the first game and then the backup comes in and took over the job and never let it go. So it'll be really interesting to see how, how Georgia handles that. So that, those are kind of my big question marks is kind of how do you replicate the seniors for you know as successful as they were and how do you make a good decision at quarterback because you don't know what Fields has yet at this level of competition. Um, and I don't know. For, for me, it's, it's that, if anything, is the one or are the couple things holding Georgia back. But at the same time, I think Kirby Smart has established a very strong culture, much like they have at Alabama at Georgia, and I think they're going to be battling with Alabama for the SEC title and the national title for, for years to come. You know, a couple things, Owen. Just go, I mean, you know, I, I think Jake Fromm is, you know, I don't know as much about their, their new highly rated quarterback. I'm sure he's really good. But in the game, in the Georgia games that I saw last year, I, I liked Jake Fromm. I thought he's a decent quarterback. Um, good enough to win you games, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, I think that in the SEC, if you look at their main challenger being Alabama, um, Alabama certainly lost a lot of they lost a lot of players, particularly on defense. I think they lost a, a bunch of players in the secondary, um, as well as Mika Fitzpatrick. So I, I think that there's a lot of question marks there. So to me, both both teams kind of share questions going into the season, both at quarterback and um, basically all around the field. Yeah, and and we'd be remiss we if we didn't accept, acknowledge the fact that that's kind of the same across the board in college. Yeah, athletics. Um, but you know, again, that's what makes it so exciting because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's so hard to go back to back. Uh, I think the last time to do it was Alabama a few years ago, but uh, we'll see. I mean, it's, it it'll be 
it'll be exciting for sure and i just can't wait until you know the big the big sec games start rolling around you know I hate to be super SEC, but you know, when I was away from school for a long or away from home for a long time, I kind of gravitated to the one thing that reminds me of home, and for me, that was that was Georgia. So, basically, from college and post college on, I'm an unapologetic Georgia fan, even if I didn't like to didn't like them in years past for whatever reason. Um, but kind of rounding off college football in this little mini preview, um, I want to get your thoughts, Willie. Uh, I know your family. I know your dad is is a big big Buckeye. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Urban Meyer and the mm. whole situation regarding uh, his current three-game suspension. You know, it's 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 a de- it's a delicate situation. Um, you know, and I think that one thing that we we just have to be careful of, you know, is um we live in a culture where where so much is obviously you know um, it's so sad what happened and condolences serious condolences to to the victim of, of the crime you know and I, I just think that um the the ohio state board took a long time to make their decision so they're obviously very thorough and you know i think that um i guess the one thing i will say is that um like so we live in a world where things go viral very fast and 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 lots of scandals have been coming out and so it's it's very easy to um, kind of root for uh, not root but just quickly throw people under the bus. And all I would say is that you know I don't I hope we don't live in a world where people now we start to assume guilt where it wasn't there. And I'm not saying that was the case because I've read all the findings of the fact. But my hope is that the Ohio State Board, you know took that full day, that 12 hours or whatever, and, and made the best decision given the evidence. I, I hope that was the case. Yeah. My disagreement on okay. the not, – not what you're not what you're saying because I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's, it's more so yeah. the, the verdict they reached or the, uh, the suspension. Sure. My thought, my thought is this. Uh, if you're going to suspend players disproportionately – for mm-hmm. being not just not involved in players slash coaches for not being involved in domestic abuse, domestic violence cases. If you're going to disproportionately punish that compared to receiving money for autographs or memorabilia yep. or like in the NFL being caught smoking marijuana, if you're going to have that kind of precedent – then I think you set up a really dangerous situation where you you are telling kids subconsciously from a very young age that it is okay to it is okay to harm another human being outside of the sport, but it's not okay to smoke marijuana or it's not okay to receive money for an autograph, even though you know you're going to be doing it in a few years. Right. So it sets a, to me, it sets a dangerous precedent in that regard, specifically. As it pertains to Urban Meyer, I think he, I I would hope he's acting in a a way he believes to be morally right, and I'd be curious to know what those morals are. I don't know the whole the whole situation, so I can't really say anything. But I just hope we're not setting this precedent where you are punishing different offenses for arbitrary reasons you're, you're punishing them differently for arbitrary reasons i mean it, it just doesn't make sense and it goes back to this culture we have uh with the nfl 
where guys like Greg Hardy and Josh Brown were allowed to come back sooner than Josh Gordon, who got caught smoking pot multiple times. Yes, he made a mistake, but and he continued to make mistakes, but he went to get professional help for it. This is, this is not something that is so it's not so much curable as it is treatable and and i think there's there's just that precedent there that the nca is kind of following the nfl suit and it it, it's not a healthy line of thinking sure so so that that to me is my one thought of that and to avoid getting too philosophical and too too uh too deep into this without knowing everything we'll we'll kind of curtail it there um I think for you and me, I think we just hope he made the right decision and the board made the right decision. That's, yeah, that's what we I certainly hope so. And like you said, you hope just relative to other things. Because I agree, there's, I think that sometimes, you know, you look at some, like you said, some suspensions are in the past have been, you know, like me being Ohio State family, I thought that the NCAA really came down hard on Jim Tressel for what seemingly to be, you know, players selling their own championship rings. You know, like to me, that that wasn't a big deal. You know, and he got two games for that. So when you look at, um, so the point is, yeah, like you said, there there are, there are situations in the past where I'm very critical of the NCAA, and I hope I just hope this time um, it happens. I mean, it, it, they got it right. Hope, hope, hopefully, Ohio State got it right this case. Yeah, you def- definitely hope so. Um, yeah. But moving on to Premier League, moving across the pond over to. Uh, our English friends uh, mm-hmm. talking about week three. I can't believe it's already week three of the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll quickly touch on Liverpool against Crystal Palace, the game we didn't get to last Sunday mm-hmm. because it was it hadn't happened yet. Um, but uh, I thought it was a professional game, professional performance for Liverpool. They weren't at their best attacking-wise, but they defended well um, when they needed to. They got a little bit of luck when they had to uh, with Townsend hitting the post early in the first half. Uh, and they finished their chances when they needed to. Um, I think it was a penalty on on Salah. I think Sako doesn't need to make that extra step. Sure. Um, and mm-hmm. and Salah maybe makes the most of it, but that's kind of par for the course nowadays. I'm not saying he should, but that's just that's just the lay of the land. And I I hope I wish it was different, but it's not unfortunately. Um, and and the second goal we just saw. I I think what we're gonna see more of this year from Sadio Mane. I think a lot of the attention. Uh, on Salah really motivated Mane in the offseason to to really work hard and to get back into his best form and so far through mm-hmm. through two games he already has three goals so right up there with the top scorers in the league so uh, well you know. let me ask you Owen just quickly to wrap up the performance um how how I mean how impressed were you by the performance you know um I mean yeah how impressed were you by the performance I, I'd say collectively about a six out of ten um, okay there wasn't any one uh, standout performer outside of the defense. Um, yeah, I thought the defense was Virgil great. Van Virgil van Dyke and, and Joe Gomez, Joe Gomez played Gomez very well. Fantastic, yep. very professional. Virgil van Dyke, I think, has quietly turned into the leader of this team, even if he's not the yeah. captain. Um, I think he, the way he organizes the defense helps the way Liverpool break forward. Um, and even in possession as well, he's, you know, if you watch Liverpool, you see every time he, he makes a pass, he immediately starts barking at someone uh, about their their shape or their positioning. Um, and that's the leader of of uh, a true um, a commander, someone who is, who is never sleeping, never resting, always making sure that the team is set up for success. Um, and so, uh, you know, 
I, I think the attacking players, they try to find space where there really wasn't any. Um, Nabi Keita was phenomenal again. I think he can still improve, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, two games in English football is not going to tell you what he's going to do in his the course of his career, but I thought he played he played well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, again, it just goes back to the professional uh, – the way the, that Liverpool played at the back with Van Dijk and Gomez. So, all-around solid performance. You thought – it's just – it's amazing, you know. It's just how you didn't feel like – that they were under serious threat to score. You know, Townsend had that one shot from a long ways where he hit the crossbar, and, and Ali Sun had that one save, I think, on the free kick. But other than that, I mean, you watched the game, and they Liverpool seemed very comfortable on that end, you know? Yeah, this really did seem like a game where Zaha was going to get into a little bit of space and just run riot, um, but that wasn't the case. And Liverpool were able to limit the amount that Palace broke in the counterattack. And, and we've seen through two games, Liverpool haven't... I mean, obviously, they've, they've been the only team to keep uh, two clean sheets. Um, but bigger than that, they haven't allowed any su- any really serious one-on-one counterattacks. Um, sure. So it hasn't required a brilliant save from Allison to keep a clean sheet. Uh, it's been more just the way they, the systemic way they defend uh, has, has allowed them to be a little more effective uh, when mm-hmm. they when they do take a, a one or two goal advantage. They're not as as likely to concede and that's that's what you want to see from this team that's what i want to see for a team that can score as many goals as they can they just can they short up at the back and and they showed that they can um let me yeah defensively this is what we want to see from liverpool let me ask you this question on 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 the offense zone and um there i mean there's a lot of talking points with liverpool from all three but if um from defense to midfield forward but were you at all concerned about um the offense in the sense that, you know, when with the narrow four four two formation, they gave the fullbacks a lot of space. And I thought, you know, credit to Crystal Palace. I mean, they played a really good defensive game um, and they were very organized. But particularly, I thought Alexander-Arnold could have done a lot more with the space he had on the right side. And I'm just wondering, you know, because Man City just looks so good to me, you know, and, and maybe this is nitpicking on Liverpool. But is there any concern to you against teams that play as or if when... Liverpool play teams that are very organized. Do you have any questions about will they be able to break through? Because this game also, they did really struggle at, at times to, to really create. They kind of short of ideas at times. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, no, uh, for me, it's, it's I've, I've been a Liverpool fan uh, for not that long, but long enough to know that uh, at least this variant of Liverpool, this Jurgen Klopp team, uh, they are susceptible to the counterattack and teams that pack it in and have more success than the teams that try to play kind of expansive possession football. But what I've yeah. noticed uh, in, the, in the first two games is uh, even with West Ham, um, or I guess more so especially with West Ham, Alexander-Arnold was just a little bit off, but at the same time he also came back from his, his uh, World Cup uh, vacations. He came back earlier than he was supposed to because he wanted to get going with his team. Right. So I'd attribute it to a little bit of rust for for as far as Alexander Arnold is concerned, um, in in the West Ham game he was overhitting crosses a lot. Um, and, yeah, you know he's still 19 years old. He's still learning how to play the position. I think long term, uh, a lot of people at the club, maybe even Klopp himself, see him as a center midfielder. Um, but for now, I think he's he's still adapting his game. He's still trying to uh, come back from the World Cup, which he he played well when he did play. Um, so I, I think it's one of those things that 
yes, he maybe could have done better with a little bit of space, but he's young. He's just coming back from the World Cup, and it'll take some time. But I, I think long term, the ideas are there, um, and and he will he will be fine. The team will be fine against teams that pack it in. Are they going to concede counterattacking goals? Probably. I mean, you saw with Germany, any player, no matter how good they are, when they're left one on one, they're going to struggle. Um, and it, it's just one of those situations where it's the way they play that's kind of par for the course. That's that's just kind of to be expected. So, uh, you know, as much as I want to see Liverpool not get counterattacked in the way they do, I think it's likely to happen more so than not. And the other day, um, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, but it's just, it's just, you know, quickly, it's, it's, I'm just so impressed by not only the, the improved defense and the goalkeeping, but just the shape, you know. Cates is getting back and making tackles. I, I like James Milner, what he's been doing. There's just, and, you know, we haven't even seen Fabinho yet. So there's a lot of, a lot of promise defensively. You know, there's a lot of discipline on both ends that, that's really impressive to me. Yeah, Klopp in the last uh, couple transfer windows, uh, that's counting January and this summer window, he's had a very, very clear idea of what he needs. He already added the attacking play. He added the attacking players in his first few windows. He added Sadio Mane. He added Mar- uh, Mohamed Salah. He kind of refined Firmino a little bit, but now he's added his 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 game managers, his center backs, his center midfielders, his depth players. He's added players to make this team even better. He took the Nabi Keita signing last summer. Uh, just it took effect this summer, and I think Martin Tyler actually got it wrong on the broadcast, but that's not surprising because he's actually. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a closet Manchester United fan. Um, just the comments <laughs> of Liverpool and just seems to not enjoy doing Liverpool games. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, the deal getting done last summer coming to effect this summer, uh, it, it just makes it an even more exciting window. Uh, but this this window for Klopp was all about the game the the goalkeeper, and it's all about your defensive mid and your depth. This is this is how you're going to see off teams when you're winning by a goal to nil or two one or or two two. This is how you're going to see games off. Uh, and I think that that was a very clear transfer strategy. He stuck to it. He stuck to his guns. He got the guys he wanted. And now we're seeing the, at least so far, the early benefits of that. Absolutely. And they look they look to be, no jinx on, but they, they look to be the, the closest competitor to Manchester City. Well, that's a good segue because we're going to talk about some of the upcoming fixtures to keep an eye on this weekend. Um, they are kind of the, I wouldn't say the marquee matchup, but one to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, obviously, Liverpool with their their good start so far. They haven't won back to back Premier League games since 2015-16, which was, ironically, Brendan Rodgers' last uh, opening stretch to the season. He was actually fired uh, a couple more matches into the season. Um, I hope that doesn't happen to Klopp, but you never know what can happen in football. Um, Liverpool versus Brighton, coming off that three two win against Manchester United at at the Amex Stadium. Uh, that game will be at Anfield. That's kind of the late afternoon game on Saturday. I'm looking forward to this one because I like the way Liverpool attack the game against Brighton, but I am cautiously nervous that Brighton are going to give Liverpool a, a bit to work with just because, yes, they do play this open, expansive type of football, but at the same time, they are also an intelligent team coming off a very big win of theirs, so they'll be flying high for sure. Yeah. Seagulls flying high. For sure. Who do you, th- who do you think is going to win on? Uh, um... Well, I hope it's Liverpool. I think it'll be Liverpool, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Brighton uh, squeeze a draw out of Anfield. Um, even though no team has scored at Anfield 
in the Premier League since February. So, yeah, I mean, I think as well. first off to keep an eye on, I think that Lewis Dunk is out. Um, he got injured in, uh, yeah. in the Man United game. I think that's a big loss um, because him and Shane Duffy together are, are two really good center backs. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Like you said, they bring some tactical flair. I mean, Pascal Gross is, I think, one of the most underrated players. Just, you know, loving the Premier League. Um, Exceptional player. I think 2-1, two to 2-1 two to Liverpool. Uh, I would say that, um, yeah, they'll they'll win. Like you said, uh, they're not going to be able to close it out. I think that Murray or Gross will, will get a goal, but uh, it just won't be enough. Yeah, and, and Glenn Murray just seems to show up in the big games for 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 Brighton. Just the, the wily veteran showing up when you least expect it. This proper English center forward, Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an interesting one, man. He's an interesting one. Um yeah, no, and and, and Liverpool actually ended the season last year uh, with a I believe it was a four one win against Brighton. So the last time they actually welcomed Brighton to Anfield was uh, the end of the season. So not a, not too much of a, a not not the longest turnaround in the world, um, or actually pretty long turnaround. I digress. Arsenal West Ham. I want to mention this game. Not this will be great to watch because from neither a one of these team neither one of these teams have won a game yet, it won a point yet, um, but also because my brother uh, Ian uh, and Nick and Brian, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago, will be at this game uh, at the Emirates. That'll be so awesome. That'll be, that'll be one. Uh, they're actually across the pond right now, enjoying uh, everything there is to enjoy about London. And uh, so we wish them the best yeah. and hope they get to see Arsenal take home the three points against the Hammers. Yeah, they got to take some some pictures, man. Someone someone's got to win that game too. I mean, you, you you can't see a draw being a good result for either manager. No, I, I, absolutely not. I, I think I mean this is gosh I mean if you like attacking soccer right? I mean this is going to be this is a, a West Ham team that that certainly loves to attack but all the way from the fullbacks like Fredericks up to up front uh, and then this is an Arsenal team you know that's looked very um, open at, at times but yeah I think Arsenal Arsenal will get the win and then you know the no, no, I'm going to say pressure, but you know, all of a sudden Pellegrini is going to be 0-3 here. Yeah, and I think one of the things for Arsenal in particular is that I want to see more of Lucas Torreira because every time he's come yeah. on the pitch, he's looked like one of the better players for Arsenal, certainly one of the better midfielders. Just the tenacity and the way he hunts down the ball and the way he kind of keeps He plugs up going. the gaps in that He does, defense. yeah. He, he, he's an exciting player to watch, and I think the more he plays, the better, but maybe he's just getting used to Premier League. Who knows? Um, just one of those things to keep an eye on this weekend. More, I want more Aaron Ramsey too. Yeah, definitely. And, I think and, his his work rate's higher than some of the other players. Yeah, and we need and and definitely more from Mesut Ozil. We talked about this last week, um, so to avoid repeating it, I guess just you know more from Ozil, more, more from more from Ramsey, and and more just more Torreira. You know, I just want to say, you know, real quickly, like if I was a met, I mean, you can. I think that it's funny because I think that. Uh, Arsenal have showed some progress, but they still have a ways to go. And I mean, I just, you know, I flash back to that um, one of the goals that Chelsea scored where, where Henrik Mkhitaryan just doesn't track back. And it's just, I don't know, to me, that just illuminated their defensive problems. And 
They've, to me, it's it's one of these things where I think Arsenal is going to turn it around, but they they're farther ways off than than I thought they were. To be honest with you, yeah. And, and the way they got back in the game last weekend was was good to see. And it, you know, they really should have won the game just based on the number of chances they created and missed. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's still a work in progress, and this Arsenal team is going to take some time to really adjust to the the non Arsene Wenger way, not even just the Unai Emery way, just not having Arsene Wenger anymore in charge it'll be change of mentality that need just a lot needs to change at the emirates um for the club to move forward really but speaking of moving forward united versus tottenham this game is going to be huge for a one jose Mourinho, who is staring in the face of a uh one win two loss start uh, based on how good tottenham have looked to start the season very professional wins so far for for spurs um as much as i hate to say it they've, they've looked really good they've looked Every bit as good as Liverpool and Man City. Um, I think Man City, obviously, with the edge, just with the number of goals they scored. Um, but this is going to be a, a big one at Old Trafford. Of course, the last time these two uh, played each other, it was a uh, a two a two nil win for Tottenham, uh, where they scored inside eleven seconds. Gosh! Oh man! I mean, this is going to be. A crazy game. I mean, there's so much pressure here on Manchester United. Uh, I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I think Manchester United's going to—they're going to, you know, players like Paul Pogba talked about the poor attitude of the team last game. I think they're going to come out flying, but I think Tottenham will score a second-half goal. Is it—is it, is it and, possible to have a must-win game three match weeks into the season? I mean, I, I think this is as close to that as you get for for Manchester United and Jose yeah. Oh, and he's under contract for a while, you know? And it's but, just but the, it's the, it's amazing to hear the turnaround. You know, it's like after the Leicester game, everybody was like, "Okay, they look great." And then all of a sudden everybody seems like hit the panic button, you know, after after the Brighton game. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of the nature of of the beast though, the the reactive sports media, is, you know, it's not what if you, what you do yesterday, it's what have you done for me today? And you know, it's it's one of those one of those weird things that you kind of have to look at. And he he's on the hot seat already. But if, if he loses this game, I mean, is he already? Are we already thinking about firing him if we're the board? I mean, it's it seems so bizarre, but it's just the indication is that he's lost the dressing room. And when you lose the dressing room, there's not much good that can happen for you uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh... Man, I mean, if your prediction about him being out before December, I mean, the Christmas, you know, uh, I will say I'm interested to see. Um, there have been a lot, a lot has been made about how Eric Bai um, and Victor Lindelof played really poorly last game. Um, Gary Neville, uh, did you see Gary Neville's comments? He was saying they should go to a back three center backs, and I think it's very interesting. Um, I'm interested to see if they will do that at some point. Because I think that center backs are traditionally the key to Mourinho's teams. Well, well, it used to be the um, used to be the soccer guy he used to play. Yeah, is it possible to park the bus with three center backs? Oh, and I think it's a natural shift. To to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, you no, know, you, and, ha- you know, I had to get that in there. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I guess he was upset that they said that in the Man City documentary. But yeah, to me, Valencia and Luke Shaw can play wing backs. I, if necessary, I think that they can that they can play with three center backs. But yeah, I uh, it's a classic Mourinho team. They they look discombobulated on both sides of the ball. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So all eyes on Manchester United right now. 
uh, as if they needed any more attention playing top. They, you know, they, they just do so such little with their possessions sometimes. Like, you know, when you watch teams, right, some of the big teams sometimes, like they, you know, Manchester United has 70% possession, but they never really threatened the goal. It, it was startling. Like, the, they were, they didn't really create many concrete chances. You never just felt that they were really applying the pressure and that it was just a matter of time before they score. You know, if anything, the their struggle to really, and, you know, Mourinho after the game said, you know, he, that, that the spirit was lost at halftime. That, that's a big red flag, you know? That That is his job, though. That's what he's being paid to do is to rally the team's spirit. You know, yeah. it's not Paul Pogba's job to do. I mean, Paul Pogba should be feel culpable, surely. But that's Jose Mourinho's job is to get the most out of his players. If you're not doing that, then you're not doing your job. And if you don't get your you don't do your job, then you lose it. Yeah. But, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on that game for sure. And, and certainly Manchester United in the first few games of the season. Uh, over to Craven Cottage, where Fulham oh. will welcome Burnley for uh, what should be a pretty interesting match because Burnley haven't been all that great this year so far. I mean, what they did last year getting into Europe was just a, a fantastic season. But I think they've shown a little bit of the the, the burden that Europe does, that bur- that that happens to teams that, that haven't had that experience and all of a sudden are playing in Europe for the first time. Um I think we, we kind of saw that against Wofford a little bit. They were, you know, they kind of had classic Burnley threatening on set pieces, but at the end of the day, they they just weren't able to get it done. Yeah, um, this is a harsh reality, you know, and it's 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 one of those things where, like you said, they were really they did really well last season, um, and you're just wondering how are they they were going to respond this season. Um, thus far, they haven't responded well, and to be honest, I think Fulham is going to win this game. And all of a sudden, we're going to see a team that's kind of knocked back down in reality. Uh, I like, I like, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm going to go for a draw on this one, uh, an exciting uh-huh. one nonetheless, a two-two draw. Um, wow. Fulham get their first point of the season, but it's uh, ultimately not enough for the full three. Um, I think Burnley's their Sean Dyche is eventually going to kick them into shape and and. You know, make sure they're well organized, as Sean Dyche so often does. Um, but Fulham, they've looked good. They just have, I mean, they've they've had a tough start to the season. Um, obviously, when you play one of the big six after getting promoted, it's not what you want. But at the end of the day, someone's got to do it. Yeah, Fulham look pretty good to me. They have a lot of attacking talent, and they have a bunch of new players. So it's just giving them time for a gel. I think exactly. I think um, this recipe at home. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even through a couple games, our predictions that are pretty much our consensus. During our our preview show, was that they'd be they'd have the best chance to finish highest of the three uh, promoted teams, and I think I, I I would stand by that still after two games. Yeah, uh, and the last one I wanted to highlight was Bournemouth against Everton. Both uh, both teams playing pretty well at the start. Bournemouth with a perfect start to the season two uh, two games six points. Uh, Everton mm-hmm. uh, with that uh, unfortunate you, you hate to see it kind of game against against Wolves. Um, drawing 2-2, but they're getting the three points against Southampton last week. Um, I'll tell you what, Richarlison has looked really solid. And I remember I, I was knocking him in our preview show, but he's looked he's looked like all the player they spent the 50 million pounds for. Yeah, I mean, take, like you said, take him the grain of salt. It's been two games, but, but yes, he has. And, um, you know, maybe Marco Silva, you know, he has a good relationship with him and, and maybe he's going to get the best out of him. Um, and he's certainly going to be a huge key for this Everton team going forward, who looked pretty good for, through their first two games. 
yeah, definitely something to watch. And, and on the Bournemouth side, I mean, again, it's it's more classic Bournemouth. Eddie Howe getting them to play this expansive possession football. Um, I think they'll they'll give Everton a run for their money, but I think the Toffees are going to take this one. Um, they've looked a, a much improved side from the one we saw last year that almost got relegated um, and had to hire Big Sam to obviously keep them out of said relegation zone. But um, those are the kind of fixtures we wanted to highlight. Uh, the other five... Uh, you know, obviously the Premier League is a Premier League, and you never know what's going to happen in those other five. Um, we could have five of the greatest games we've ever seen uh, in the league in those in those other fixtures, but you never know. Yeah. So uh, we'll just have for to sure. keep an eye on it. That's what's great about the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's all for the semi-scripted part of our show. Now I want to get to the uh, the hot takes because I, yeah. I understand we've got some hot takes here. I want to tee it off. Because they're college football based, and I know the quicker we can get to them, the more we can show your your takes and love. But I was keeping this one from the college football preview section because I wanted to get it out here because I think it is the hottest take mm-hmm. I, I have had on the All show right. since the Premier League wow. preview, where I said Paul, Paul where I said Marino's going to get fired by uh, tw- the end of the year. I stand by that. Georgia is going to repeat as SEC champion and go back to the title game. I'm talking the college football wow. game. Wow. For all the question marks I brought up about the Georgia Bulldogs, I think they've still got what it takes. They've got the culture, the mentality, and the system that they need to get back to the title game. Uh, whether or not they win it depends on who they play, but I think they're going back. Uh, how about them dogs? Wow. Okay. And the other one, which is equally as hot, I would say. Quick quick, sen- quick summation quickly about why you think Georgia – um, it, it's just the the mentality. I mean, Georgia was a team that uh, for decades has been known for producing great running backs and great quarterbacks and, and really good individual players, but never putting it together really uh, at the top level, whereas now they're doing both. Um, you look at the players that went to the NFL last year who con- who were convinced by Coach Smart and the coaching staff to come back to Georgia mm-hmm. for one more year. That is Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. They could have easily just gone to the NFL after a disappointing eight and eight year, or not eight and eight, uh, a disappointing. I believe it was a six and six year or something like that um, in 2016. But Michelle and Chubb are convinced by Coach Smart and the coaching staff to come back for their senior okay. year, and those two had the most effective running back duo, uh, probably that the country has seen in in many years. Okay. It makes it tough for them to replicate that. But every team around the BCS is going to deal with this this year. And I think Georgia is the best equipped to it. Because when they were able to get out to so many good leads last year on the backs of Chubb and Michelle and Wims, they were able to let their younger guys get a taste of the action. Your DeAndre Swifts, who had a touchdown run in the SEC Championship game. Your Elijah Holyfield. Your Brian Harrians. Your Jake Fromm, who was a freshman last year, who's learned from the defeat in the championship game. I mean, you have guys who've who've learned if they if they left the program because they graduated then so be it. But the guys who stayed, they learned what that's like and they have that hunger to get back there. And I think that coupled with the system and the way they're coached is going to put them over the line. I think George is going to have another great year. They're going to go back to the title game this year. Wow, okay. I'm probably going to be wrong. But, you know, in the spirit of hot takes and college football, I figured I'd throw my hottest take out there. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty hot take. I mean, but yeah, I could certainly see it, Owen. But watch out for Auburn, too. Auburn's another team. Here, that here's looks... my thing with Auburn. 
Their quarterback is the most overrated quarterback I have seen in years in the SEC. Wow, that's Jared no Stidham take. struggles to throw the ball 30 yards <laughs> accurate, accurately. I'm sorry. Jared Stidham is wow. not a Heisman contender like people say he is. You want Heisman contender? How about the guy who played in the national title game for the, the Georgia Bulldogs? How about Jake Fromm? That's a Heisman contender. Not Jarrett Stidham, who was, what, 8 for 26 against Georgia or whatever. 12 for whatever he was against Georgia in the title, in the SEC title game. That's the number I care about because it, 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 he's, he's, not, he's not as good as people say he is. He's just not. Wow. Okay. It's, up to him, it's up to him to prove me wrong. So, Jarrett Stidham, go ahead, prove me wrong. Except don't because Georgia's going to run all over you. My other take. Now, mm-hmm. this one might be even hotter than the first one. Mm-hmm. Alabama is okay. going to miss the playoff. Alabama is going to lose three games this year. Three? Wow. Three They're going to lose the Iron Bowl. Okay. They're going to lose uh, to another big team from the West. I'd say maybe LSU. Wow. And they will lose to an unranked team. We've we've seen this trend with Alabama every few years. They they kind of have a, a so so year, mm. but I think this year they're going to go back a little bit. I mean, I think it's 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 just so hard to top the way they won last year. Sure, and they uh, they don't have Calvin Ridley too. No like, Calvin Ridley a... playing for my Atlanta Falcons. Rise yep. up. Yep. And it, it'll be look they they're returning both their quarterbacks, but. At the end of the day, it's it's not what you do on. Jeez, a three loss Alabama team. Three losses. When was that? When was the last time that happened? It, it probably pre Nick Saban. I mean, again, this wow. is probably gonna be wrong. This is coming out of nowhere, but you know, oh. this is this is what the segment is for—just airing out these hot takes and showing them some love. Wow. So, without the with all this college football talk out of the way, Willie, I'm gonna hand it over to you. Give me your hottest takes. All right. Um. So I'll just. Start from least hot to most hot, uh, if, that, if that's okay. Okay, go for it. Um, yeah. So um, the the first one, and this is this the other ones are hot takes. This one isn't really. It's just a it's just a comment. You gotta um, introduce it better than that, my man. Okay, okay. Um, oh, and I'm curious uh, what you think of Freddie Freeman because I think he's very under. He's flying under. He always flies under the radar, and to me, he's the backbone of the Braves team. And I feel like no one ever talks about him. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, Freddie Freeman, kind of one of those guys who always flies under the radar, no matter how well he's doing. This year, he's having an MVP season, um, but the Braves weren't really expected to be here. And even when he's performing well, I think he's not expected to win MVP. Uh, I'd like him to, but I don't think he will because I think at the end of the day, it is more of a popularity contest among the voters. Um, and. I don't know. It'd be nice to see an Atlanta Brave win the win the MVP first one since Chipper Jones in in the nineteen ninety nine season, I believe it was. I was four years old at the time. I don't. I wasn't even a baseball fan, much less a sports fan. So, but I like to see. I'd like to see him win. I don't think he will, but he's definitely again just flying under the radar. He does, man. It's 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 to watch. But in the interest of time, I'll move on. Now I've got. I'll just they'll just be quick. I'll just bang, 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 bang. I got four hot takes. Oh man, right here. All right, number one, um, the I think the Dodgers are going to miss the playoffs. Owen, I I think there's so much hype, but um, I just I like I think the Diamondbacks are going to win that division, and I don't think that they're going to be able to get the second wild card game. I just think they're really their bullpen is struggling. They just have a bad aura about them, and I I, I think it it's starting to get 
they're starting to slip here. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Getting swept by the Cardinals isn't a good look. And, and I was there when they, uh, in the first game of the Giants series last week, um, Scott Alexander comes into the game with a 2-1 lead, gets the first two outs, and then ends up giving up four runs yep. or three runs, whatever it was. I think it was four. Uh, and the Dodgers lose that game 5-2. to two. So I'm, I'm with you there. I don't think the Dodgers make the playoffs this and year. And yeah, Kenley Jansen's comeback blew two games in a row. Oh, so, yeah, you, know. you know, I think it'd be good for the Dodgers to not be in the playoffs this year. I mean, three years in a row under Dave Roberts, uh, sure. they went um, division ra- divisional round, knockout. Uh, under Dave Roberts, championship series, knockout, World Series, lose Harper in Game 7 at home. I think it'd be good to, to really get a full offseason season to get everyone healthy, to really reset yourself, rethink how you want to build this team, maybe go after Manny Machado mm-hmm. for your agency, maybe go after someone else, maybe a top-line starter to complement Clayton Kershaw because right now with the Dodgers, that's kind of the big question mark is who's going to back up the greatest pitcher. And is, he's, is he going to opt out of his contract? I mean, you never really know what's going to happen with this team uh, at the end of the year. But I think a long offseason would do the Dodgers well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to see him in it, but I, I could see that. All right. Here's my three more hard ticks. All right. Number one, I want you to circle 922 on the calendar, September 22nd. I'm not as, I'm not, I'm not willing to say that it's going to happen, Owen, but I think that even though he's sixth or seventh on the official odds, I think David Wagner is going to come under serious pressure from Huddlesfield Town. I don't like what, even though they've lost their first two games to two top opponents, I don't like what I've seen from them. I don't think they have enough goal scoring to stay in the Premier League. Um, they start a really tough run of fixtures after the next few games. So I think you got to keep your eye closely on them because they're 0-2. They have games coming up against Cardiff, um, Crystal Palace, and Everton, Leicester City. Those are all four. All four of those are winnable games. If they don't win those, Wagner could be the first one out. I'm not saying he will. I I don't think he will. By then, I think he could later in the season. But I think he's one to watch. Hmm, that's a big call, but I could see it happening. As much it's as sad, like Wagner. it'd be sad because he's. I like him too, and he's really led the team. But, um. You know, in the Premier League, there's no time to mess around. We'll see. No, yeah, definitely, and it's it's been two games, but that that definitely is alarming if you're Huddersfield. For sure. Okay, next one. Um, you know, I'm really, to be honest with you, as much as I love golf, I'm really disappointed with this Woods Mickelson match that they're gonna have this duel, uh, this showdown. Really? How so? To me, I just viewed it as a cash grab. You know, the fans are gonna love it, but I wish this. I mean, it'll be great to see them, but to me, it's just they're gonna be making a lot of money, and they're at the tail end of their careers. I, I don't know. It just to me, it just seems like a very. I know this is not nice to say, but it just seems like a very quick way of making a buck. Yeah, but at the same time, you think of these guys being financially set for life with their endorsements and the, the amount they've won in their careers already. So I, I think that part is irrelevant. I think it's more just, you know, this is a nice way for both of them to kind of put the t- – you know, we, we've talked about this in golf, um, and this is even before you and I knew each other. We talked about this in golf for years and years and years. When is Tiger going to actually go up against his biggest challenger of this generation, which has been Phil Mickelson? It's always been, I mean, if it's not Ernie, it's Phil. And, you know, it, it. we've always yearned for this kind of thing, and now we finally have it. So I'm actually stoked for it. I mean, I could I could give, uh, you know, 
pardon my, pardon my language, I give a rat's ass about the Ryder Cup, but this is what I'm excited about. Interesting. I but don't see, care about me, the Ryder Cup at all. This is what I care about. Tiger I, I against res- Phil, $9 million, take it or leave it. I respect that, and it'll be great. And, you know, like you said, they always talk about having a showdown. But here's the other catch, right? Like, I have a, a lot of streaming services on, but we're going to have to pay pay-per-view for this. You know? Like... Are you are you gonna pay the money for it? Absolutely. Say if it's fifty bucks or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. If it's if it's I already okay. pay enough for TV. I don't want to pay more. Right, but depending depending on what it is, you know, I I would definitely fork up some cash for it. And if not, um, you know, it's you can someone's gonna have the highlights on YouTube anyways. I think, and it's one of those situations where it's you know if I miss it, it's it's not the end of the world. Um, it's this is sports. None of this is the end of the world. None of this is conclusive. But it, it's just to me, it's one of those things that I would I would go out of my way if I'm a consumer, and I depending on how much I would be willing to pay for it, I would I would fork over some cash because it is. I mean, I grew up watching Tiger Woods at the height of his career, go against Phil Mickelson week in and week out, and that's you know this is something I've wanted as for for so long as to see them go mono e mono, and now it's finally here. So I'm I'm excited for it more so than the Ryder Cup. Okay. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be interesting. Um, and then I guess the the last thing I have, and I'm just curious, and maybe it's just a bigger issue than I'm making it out to be, but I do have issues with the fact that Sari is playing Jorginho and Conte spot. Um, Conte is the best holding midfielder in the world. And I know he wants to play a pressing style of play, but you know Eden Hazard said that I'm paraphrasing it. But when when N'Golo Conte is at his best, Chelsea has almost like over an I think over a ninety percent chance of winning the game. And I just you know I've been watching the way that the the midfield has kind of looked and and how open we've kind of been. I just have concerned that we're messing with you know. There's, it's been no he N'Golo Conte played a huge role in, in Leicester and Chelsea winning the championships, and I, I just don't quite know if it, this move is going to work out how I hope it does. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things as well is that uh, with Jorginho, it, it's kind of hard to figure out what his best position is. I mean, obviously, Sarri knows him really well from their time at Napoli, but it's adapting that to the English game. You know, the Italian game and the English game are, are very very different, and that's kind of what makes English football so appealing because it's it's no matter how good you could be in another league you could be terrible in the Premier League because it's so fast it's so physical and it's just a different game um so playing Jorginho what from what I've watched a little deeper in the park he hasn't had as much of an impact that you maybe expect of someone who's as as good distributing the ball as he is um with Conte however I think it's it's one of those things where he will find a home on the pitch if you give him a little bit of time, um, he's a player who he, he, I mean, the joke running joke on social media is that he was one of the nicest guys in the pitch, but I actually would believe that he's, he's actually almost too nice for his own good. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's one of those things I think Chelsea they they've, they've gotten by with a couple wins early on in the season that they can still afford to tinker around with it as they go. But I think at the end of the day, where specifically everyone plays, it will be fine at the end of the day. Um, just because of the amount of talent they have in that side, Jorginho uh, and and Conte won't be able to play with each other in a very effective way, and you know without stepping on each other's toes. So, long story short, yeah. they'll be fine. Well, I hope so, buddy. 
I hope so. That's what I got. That's all I got. Well, that's just about it for us here from Hot Takes Only. Uh, try to keep these shows a little shorter just so they're not as overwhelming. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, we do get carried away and like talking about sports for an hour and a half, almost two hours. But make sure you follow us on social media because we want to get involved with you and make sure we're creating content that you're really liking to consume and, and just you know enjoying talking about these topics. Uh, if you want to suggest a topic for next week's show, be feel, feel free to tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you are not already subscribed to this show on iTunes, what are you doing with your life? Get on iTunes and subscribe. Hot takes only. It's free. Um, and... If you want to listen to the show on Anchor FM, by all means do so. Uh, if you want to listen to it on iTunes, by all means do so. But the one thing you should do is tell all your friends because this show is something we're working hard to do. Be sure to tune in next week. We have episode 10 of the show. Still working on getting a guest on. Uh, uh, he will be uh, confidential and anonymous until we know for sure who it is. Um, well, we know who it is. It's just we <laughs> want to tell you. Um, but thanks again for listening. This has been Hot Takes Only with your favorite two sports personalities. You hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, Owen, do you think uh, Josie Mourinho, if you listen to this, would call our podcast classless? Uh, I think I'd call him classless for the way he treats his players. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyways, that's all the time we have for this episode of Hot Takes Only, and we will see you next time, same time, same place. Stick around.